I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to Football Chat with May and Kat. We're two Australian girls, football fanatics and good friends who spend most of our time watching, playing or talking football. I'm May and I live in London. And I'm Kat living in Sydney. But no distance will stop us from Football Chat. Let's kick off. Welcome back to Football Chat with May and Kat. We are so excited to bring you another interview today with Louise Taffer. Louise is a football presenter and host and also a BBC contributor. So we are very delighted to have her in the studio today. And by in the studio, I mean on Zoom because COVID. Let's kick off the podcast with you telling us what we should know about yourself. Top line, how did you get into the sport and I guess what you're doing with it now? Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be on the show. Uh, How I got into football? Well, if we go right back to when I was very young, five years old, four years old, I used to play and I still remember those cold, cold winter mornings, um, you know, on weekends and running around because, you know, under sixes was always the first game of the day. Um, And, yeah, so I used to play and um, I played right up until I was about, oh, 16, I would say. Um, And I fell in love with the game across all of those those years. And uh, and then I I stopped playing and uh, I went into journalism and then I took a, a path down towards um, football and incorporating football into my career. And, uh, and it, it, it's just such an amazing industry to be in because I think football feels like a family, mm. you know, when you, when you get into it um, and you meet different people, it's, it's a real football family and, and community. Um, and, and so as I started to come into the, the media world, um, I also... Uh, was a media manager for two MPL uh, teams that travelled to Spain. And um, so I went over there with them, which was just an incredible experience. And we travelled around four different La Liga clubs. Um, We went to Barcelona, Villarreal, uh, Valencia, and also RCD Espanol. And, um, And that was incredible in itself to see, you know, especially to go from a club like Villarreal, which is very, very small, and then to see how it is uh, at, at Football Club Barcelona and their training facilities, which are just next level. Um, and then from there, uh, I came back to Australia. And, um, and again, one thing led to another. And I, I started uh, hosting um, the FNR News Hour and uh, a football show dedicated to young players. Uh, And then I had another show for uh, women's football. So um, it's all kind of had a bit bit of a ripple effect. (laughs) Amazing. That is so cool. You mentioned that you'd been to 
to obviously all of these La Liga stadiums. Now, May is actually a huge Barcelona fan. And we, mm. the two of us, were lucky to get to a couple of games together before coronavirus happened. And we were both actually living in Europe at the time. So that was really cool. But was it in comparing the NPL academies or I suppose the training facilities to La Masia, for example, what was that like? Very different. And I think that's why I fell in love with Barcelona as well. I've always been really drawn to Barcelona as a club because of their ethics. Uh, you know, with La Masia, it's it's really, um, they, they support the youth and they want the youth to emulate what the first team does and they have this real production line. And although Barcelona is one of the most successful clubs in, in the world, um, you still have that uh, production line coming through and you still see La Masia players um, appearing in the first team, which gives them all hope and and um, I guess it creates this real atmosphere and uh, it's been around for so long and to have that rich history and to be known for that um, I just I loved it I loved the the ethics and the values that they stood for and uh, you can really notice the youth players are um, they try to embody that and it's always um, you know uh helping helping your teammate and you know even if they get knocked down I'm still going to help you up and it's little things like that and even if you see La Liga Promises which is um, you know a little tournament for all of the young young players uh, many of those ethics come through there I think with MPL it's a bit different um, obviously each each football club here is still um, you know they they have their own history like for example um you know, you might have uh, clubs that um, have a proud Greek background or Croatian or, um, you know, Italian background and, you know, they try and embody the culture. But I think in terms of those specific values, I think La Masia, they have really nailed that down. Um, so it's, yeah, it's an example that you would hope every, you know, small small club around the world would follow so uh louise what i what i well kat and i both love about your career is also you do focus a lot on young footballers and as you're talking about how they do it in barcelona which i guess is an example for the rest of the world uh, mm. but what do you see as kind of key key factors that could be implemented into training young australian footballers as well i think with Australian football, it's very fragmented at the moment. So um, when I, part of when I first got into football, um, I was back at my parents' place in in Canberra and um, I was online and I was reading something about uh, an under-17 FIFA World Cup, a men's FIFA World Cup. And so I clicked on it and I couldn't find any information about um, the fact that we had, Australia had this, under-17 squad going to an under-17 FIFA World Cup um, and it was like less than two weeks out and and there wasn't really much promotion on it. And I thought, that's crazy. And uh, luckily I was in Canberra, which is where they were. They were based at the AIS. And and so I went out there and I started doing stuff for that particular squad and um, they, they also had this full-time football program called the FFA Centre of Excellence. And um, 
and that was incredible because what it was, it, it's, it ran for 32 years. Unfortunately, um, they closed it down in 2017, but it ran for 32 years and it was this one centralised program in Canberra where um, basically they would have this scouting tournament at the end of the year for like a specific age group, like 14 and 15. Um, and so they would scout the best 24 players from that tournament um, and they would bring them into this one centralised program and they would give them this full-time football scholarship that would um, continue for uh, a two-year period. And so within that, they would train professionally and they would be built up to um, play like a professional. Uh, they would have all of their strength and conditioning um, sorted. They would still go to school. Um, so they had this full-on timetable and they would play um, in the Canberra top tier MPL here as well. So um, they, they got this real experience. And I think the fact that Australia has uh, disbanded that whole program, it's really stifled our youth development. And um, I think that coupled with the fact that we also had this tournament called the National Youth League, um, where every A-League club in Australia has their own youth team. And so they would all play in one uh, youth league. And um, that's also been canned as well. So we don't even have that. So it's more reliant on the clubs now to develop the players. So um, whether or not there's people holding the club's account um, or accountable uh, is another, another story. But hopefully now that the A-League is starting to... Um, become more independent and move away from football Australia, um, you know, they can put in the scaffolding to um, create some sort of youth tournament or um, even another youth league where it's a bit more, there's a bit more support for them to, you know, um, continue to do it throughout the years to come. In fact, we had two players on the podcast just last week Roberto and Georgia Speranza, they play for Marconi and they did talk a lot about that youth development and what they thought as players in the NPL. And it was quite interesting how you touched on the fact that so many things have been discontinued or programs have been discontinued. And that's something that they mentioned too, because it has really come become quite a political thing in terms of you really need to know someone in order to be noticed and I think, I think this is the case in any industry. I work in media and, you know, half the jobs that you're going to get are usually because you've, you know, someone in the industry. But I think it's definitely proof that what you're saying is is true, that that, that need for development across the board and putting that ownership back on the A-League rather than on the individual clubs to, to see that progress in individual players. But it's very interesting. And I'm curious what your thoughts are on women's football in the same respect. Um, both May and I play local. Um, I, I, this will be my first year in Div 1 and I'm 26, so it took me a while to get there. Proper, proper grassroots <laughs> players we are. Yeah, yeah. But I, I'm curious if you have much involvement with the women's side of things and if yeah. you do, what your thoughts are on it. I, I guess I just to add on to, to Kat's question because you see a lot of I mean, a lot of Australian women footballers are, are playing at quite a high level uh, globally, whereas we don't have as many men's footballers at that level. So is is there more development opportunities for women in Australia? 
Oh yeah, definitely. Um, and I was actually talking to um, the Canberra Weekly who interviewed me yesterday about this as well. And I was saying that when I was going through and playing football and uh, when I fell out of football at 15, 16, it was because there wasn't much opportunity for me to continue and women's football wasn't as big as it was you know um then as what it is now and I feel like now is just you know it's the best time to be um a woman a woman in the game because there's so many opportunities and there's so many pathways uh for example you know we've got the W League so there's pretty much uh, a team in every single state and uh, that that in itself is a direct pathway from the National Premier League to um, Australia's top tier competition. Um, and I feel like with the W League, because um, because there isn't much uh, squad depth in those lower ranks underneath the W League, um, we're seeing quite a lot of young girls come through and debut. And uh, I think that's amazing because then, you know, you're developing them more often and um, you've got players like Ellie Carpenter, who is still only in her early 20s and she's already, um, you know, an Olympic medalist and um, she's gone on to bigger and better things and she's, you know, had like 42 appearances for the Matildas, which is just incredible. So I think there is really a big space for women's football and especially in Australia, given that we do have so many of those Matildas over in all these top clubs in, in Europe and um, in in the US so hopefully they can all start to um, you know continue to shine in MPL and um, I think there definitely is a lot more emphasis on the National Premier League um, you know to see who might be the next Ellie Carpenter or Sam Kerr um, or you know Lydia Williams in goal uh, so yeah I, I definitely would say to younger girls to continue to do what you do and um, and I'm sure the opportunity will come calling because we are almost um, on the cusp of a, a Women's World Cup in Australia. So very exciting times ahead. <laughs> very exciting. That will be awesome. I'd love to see that here. And I think you'll agree it was in the last Women's World Cup where I don't think I've ever seen so much support for women's football. And if we were to have it on our own turf, just imagine the the reception it would have. I think it would be such an exciting time, especially for someone like yourself, because I'm sure that would bring a lot of work opportunity too. Yeah, for sure. And I think in Australia, we have this really unique situation. And as you both would know, having travelled overseas um, and and come back to Australia, Australia isn't really, um, or football in Australia isn't really the number one sport. And I think that's always been our um it's always been you know the thorn in the back of our uh, back because um you know while we do try and and we strive for promotion and we do our own promoting within the industry um we we have all these other competing codes like you know rugby nrl afl cricket netball mm. um so i think if we have the the fifa women's world cup on our shores it'll be a very different experience for many people and you might get those fans who are you know sitting on the fence um, and the general public to transition into into watching football. So it could be a really big turning point for the average Australian who doesn't normally follow it. And of course, when the Matildas win it, everyone will be will be backing them as well. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. 
and especially after what happened in France and, and a, a bit of an early exit for them. I think they'll definitely want to want to prove themselves this next time around. I hope so. On, I mean, on home turf. Yeah. Yeah, it would be incredible. So speaking of, I guess, World Cups and all of that, I'd love to know what a highlight of your career has been so far. So for those who, who aren't, sure exactly what you do do you want to just run through what your what your current kind of role is and and what keeps you busy and then yeah we'd love to know a highlight so far in your career so at the moment uh, I'm, I was recently nominated to the uh, women in football board so I sit on uh, on that committee which is an amazing opportunity because we have a big event coming up in September which um you might like to get a team together to participate in. Uh, it's just, it's a networking event and um, and it's a great opportunity for, you know, women like yourself who who play the game and it doesn't have to be at a professional level to get involved. And, um, you know, it's the it's at the end of the season. So it's a great net, networking event. Uh, so we're planning that at the moment and just doing a whole heap of media around that and just trying to get more, um, of the grassroots into the game and, and continue the production line with um, with young girls. Uh, and then so coupled with the, the board that I'm on, I've um, obviously got Taffa Media, which is my little project that I've been running since 2015, 2014, around then. Um, and that was the uh, Instagram dedicated to young players. So um, I keep that ticking over on a daily basis. Um, and then I've got uh, the contributor work that I do for the BBC, which is really cool. So um, I uh, do regular crosses to um, the UK and talk about uh, Australian football and, um, yeah, like other other things that they want to know about the game here. <laughs> That's so cool. Would you say that? collaborating with the BBC is is a highlight because as as a spectator I guess working for the BBC or with the BBC would be an incredible opportunity and a real sign that you know you you get to be that voice for Australian football overseas. Yeah it's definitely a dream come true because it came out of nowhere um yeah, to work for the BBC, it's it's a real privilege. Um, I'd also say that a highlight of my career is probably going to the Under-20 World Cup in Korea. Um, and it's just a very different experience going to a World Cup. And, and being in World Cup, Cup mode, you just, um, I forgot what day it was and you're living on, um, you know, FIFA days. So, you know, day one, day two, day three rest day uh, and just meeting everyone at a World Cup, it's it's very different. So I really enjoyed my time in Korea at the um, Under-20 World Cup and I met a lot of players who are playing in the Premier League now and playing in the Bundesliga and League 1. So it's great to see how far um, they have come and, and their journey as well. So um, I would definitely say the World Cup was a highlight. That's awesome. I couldn't, I couldn't help but laugh when you, when you talked about living your life based on World Cup days. I've, I've gone to, I've been to the World Cup as a fan before, not, not as a journalist, but uh, it was exactly the same experience. You, you 
every day would be who's playing today what time are they playing okay tomorrow's a rest day so we'll do our tourist activities then (laughs) um so it's quite quite a fun experience uh separately to that what I wanted to know and the world cup is obviously a big a big stage for players to get noticed so what we wanted to know also uh, who are who are a couple of young young stars that you're keeping your eye on really think could be the next next big thing in Australia or like for the Matildas I wherever whoever comes to mind really um, I think for the Matildas, there's a young striker. She's only um, 19 and I think she'll have a real shot at the upcoming um, Women's World Cup and her name is Kyra Cooney-Cross. So I've been watching her since the uh, the Girls NTC Challenge. So um, going back to what I was telling you earlier about the, the boys um, scouting program where they um, find the 24 players and bring them into the the AIS. The women have the same thing. So um, it's called, yeah, the NTC program. And I saw her then when she was only about 14. And uh, shortly after then, she was picked up by Melbourne Victory. And she's playing, um, she's been playing with them ever since 2017. So um, again, one thing led to another for her and she's she's been doing really well. So I would definitely say that um, Kyra Cooney-Cross is one to keep an eye on. She was also brought into the um, Matildas camp and she's played for the young Matildas, so they're our under-20s. Um, so I would be shocked if she didn't get a look in for the, the Women's World Cup. Um, and I think you'll definitely start to see some of those younger girls come through because we do have a lot of older Matildas who are starting to um, not fall off the cliff, but it is an aging squad so you have to start blooding the youth now because um you you want to have an easy transition and it's almost like what's happening at at Barcelona at the moment where we do have um a lot of the older players like PK we've seen Iniesta move on and you know you they're trying to bring in some of the the younger players and have a bit of a smooth transition so hopefully that's what we can see with the Matildas um and then there's another one called um, Carly Rossbacken and she is a uh, Canberra local and she's playing in the W League as well so I would keep my eye, eye on those two at the moment. I love it these are and that's a great name as well for a football player um, surname Cross I love that uh, <laughs> I'll definitely be keeping my eye out. Back to the Barcelona conversation. I don't know why I have a feeling that you might be a Barcelona fan. Am I right? Or is there another team that you're passionate about? No, I'm definitely a big Barcelona fan. (laughs) Um, And then the only other team that I do support, but at an arm's length is Manchester United. And that was because uh, my older brother and I, we had this Manchester United monopoly when we were very young. And so I would play that with him and, you know, that's how I learnt all the players and, and the head coach. So, uh, yeah, I, I've followed Manchester United ever since. So are you really big into La Liga or do you dabble between the Premier League and Serie A, Bundesliga? Yeah, definitely, definitely. I think um, the more you look out for um, certain players and I think 
after the under 20 World Cup, when everyone went back to their own countries, um, you know, I would be reading the news and I would see uh, Jean Kevin Augustine, who was at PSG, and I saw that he transferred to Leipzig in the Bundesliga. And you would follow all those little narratives. And I think that's why I always kind of keep an eye on every single league. Um, but definitely I love La Liga and, um, yeah, I, I really could watch that all day. <laughs> and even just their, their graphics and the production, I think it's really far ahead of, uh, you know, many of the other leagues in the world. Do you have any thoughts on the upcoming Barcelona presidential election? I think it'll be very interesting, very interesting to see who gets in. Um, all I know is they do have a very big job ahead of themselves because, um, you know, it, it's it's been a very fractured relationship with with Messi and um, the the sour um, exit of Suarez. I think that was a, a terrible move by Kuman to yeah, let him go probably. because. <laughs> You know, we look at Suarez now and he is just having an incredible season um, at Athleti and I think that he's second or third highest goal scorer this season in La Liga. It's just incredible. You haven't seen anything like it. So a massive letdown, you know, for moving him on and I'm not really quite sure the reasoning behind it and I don't know if it was just a knee-jerk reaction to, uh, you know, potential rumours of Messi moving on to Man City, which was never going to happen because, you know, Man City can't really even their books out at the moment with all those stars. Uh, so, yeah, I I just think that whoever is going to come in um, to take over Barcelona, they have a lot of work to do and hopefully they can still continue to bring a lot of the La Masia products through because we have seen quite a lot of them drop off. A lot of them have moved on to different clubs and, uh you know, you, you look at Xavi Simons, who's moved to PSG, and he was like a big one that I looked at and I was thinking, yeah, he's definitely going to progress through to the first team. And then PSG came swooping in and, and, and snapped him up quite quickly. So hopefully they can retain some, some of their best youth. Otherwise, I'm not quite sure what kind of a Barcelona we'll see in the future. And then the big question of all is, what do you think will happen with Messi? Messi will probably move on. I don't know yeah. when, but I think he will move on. Uh, yeah. Again, fractured relationship with with the founders and the owners. Uh, it, it can't be too good for Messi. And Messi ultimately wants to keep winning titles. And I think that um, Barcelona, especially after their recent UEFA Champions League match, it's it's not looking too good. No, it's not. I have mixed feelings about Messi moving on. I think it would be very sad for him to leave Barcelona and I think that sentiment is widely felt by a lot of people. Uh, mm. But like you said, he wants to he wants to win trophies and and Barcelona have a lot of work to do to to clean themselves up. Uh, I don't know if I mean I I don't think Messi has a good relationship with Coman and I guess the way he came in and ousted Suarez has probably also left a bad taste in Messi's mouth, mouth as it has for the rest of us uh, mm. so I think yeah I think if it's a if it's not a fruitful season for them this year which it doesn't look like it will be then mm. I think there's a very high likelihood that he will move on 
Uh, but then the question comes as to where he's going to go because there's a handful of clubs who can actually afford him and I think everyone will be scrambling scrambling their finances to try and try and pay his wages. Mm, yeah, definitely. And you even look at these rumours surrounding, you know, Messi moving to PSG and to link back up with Neymar. Uh, but even PSG, they've, they've been hit by financial fair play in, in the past. So they will yeah. have to balance out their books if they're going to bring in Messi because they already have a number of big stars, Mbappe, which they want to keep for at least another season. They've got Neymar. Um, you know, the list goes on. So there's no way that they can afford to have all these players um, that are costing an arm and a leg on their books at, at once. So something will have to give. Uh, and then there were those rumours that Messi would go back to or go move on to uh, Syria. I'm not quite sure how um, likely that is, but perhaps maybe a move to PSG. I don't think Messi kind of suits PSG, though. You know, when we talk about ethics and values, I kind of think of PSG as this other other club that, you know, you look at Verratti and he's out partying midweek. <laughs> and I don't think that's really Messi. No, family man. Definitely. Loyal to one club and, and all about his family. He, I have to admit that I love the idea of him and Ronaldo playing for Juve together. Like I know it is, it's facetious to, to think <laughs> that it could happen, but just, just picturing it would be just awesome. Likewise, you know, people talk about Ronaldo coming back to United. It's not going to happen. This was actually a conversation no. I was having with people last week and we were just throwing ideas around and they said, imagine Ronaldo back at United and then Messi with City. Just imagine the Premier League if that was to uh, That would be the ultimate rivalry. Could you imagine the opposite ends of Manchester and back at it again? I, I'm not fully close off to the idea of Ronaldo closing out his career at United. I feel like it could happen, uh, but maybe I'm just being really hopeful. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with you. I think that it could, there's a glimmer of hope that, Ronaldo could return to United for one last, you know, final shot. Um, I wouldn't write that off either. I don't. Think but at the same time, I kind off. of think, I kind of think that Ronaldo wants to win trophies in every single league or all of the top five leagues around the world. So I'm thinking, what's next? <laughs> the A League. That's, <laughs> that's the next step. <laughs> Guest appearance for Sydney FC. Yeah, if we're yeah. lucky. I think he, Too lucky. maybe to see him in France would be really cool as well. But he's uh he's amazing. I'm are you more team Messi or team Ronaldo? If if you're gonna pick one, I feel like I know your answer, but I don't know. It's very difficult. And when I whenever I see these Messi or Ronaldo discussions come up in Twitter or on the internet I think to myself can't we just live in a world and appreciate both yeah, I agree I think people don't consider how different their careers have been it's very hard to compare them because they've both achieved amazing things but to a very different extent you know Messi has shown that that longevity and the ability to succeed in one club and Ronaldo like you said has been able to get a trophy in almost every every league, which is just unbelievable. Mm, yeah, definitely. And I think that's what I love about Messi. I love that he's this one club hero and, you know, he was 
uh, a La Masia boy and he started out his youth career um, at Barcelona and then he just continued to work his way up and he's been there, you know, ever since. So um, I do really appreciate that. But at the same time, I appreciate the fact that Ronaldo started out from nothing and what you see now is all of his hard work and he's just continued to um, go the extras. I remember um, reading uh, a book, I think it could have been in Sir Alex Ferguson's book, um, but there was an excerpt and it was saying that after the UEFA Champions League final one year, uh, the whole team was out partying and Ronaldo was back at the training pitch at like two o'clock in the morning doing laps and training. And I thought to myself, that is a very dedicated individual to be back out on the training pitch and it's just this different human who does different things to to be where he is today yeah yeah he's he's gotten where he is because of the amount of hard work he put in and you can really see that with his um with with what he does uh I want to I want to ask you what you think of I, I guess there's been a bit of talk about the next rivalry being Erling Haaland and Mbappe. Uh, what are your thoughts on the two of them? Oh, Erling Haaland is a freak. <laughs> he is. He's, <laughs> he's just. But yeah. I think he's, he's funny as well. He's such a troll. It's it's so funny. Well, his interviews are hilarious. <laughs> I know there was one interview with a reporter, and it was just so cringing. And the reporter was like. Um, so you're going home alone tonight? And Erling was very confused and he was like, uh, yes. <laughs> and then that. the interviewer was like, oh, you didn't score a hat-trick, so you're not taking home any girls. And Erling was just like so confused. And I think we were all just very confused. But, um, yeah, he goes along with it. Uh, Erling is just incredible. He was also at one of the Youth World Cups and he took out the golden boot and um we all kind of said to ourselves, you know, keep your eye on him. And ever since then, he's just kept scoring and he's transferred it uh, obviously with, with Dortmund. And um, he's scored like, I don't know, I think it's like 42 goals in 42 appearances. It's something ridiculous. Uh, and you think to yourself, wow, that's incredible. Where would his next move be? And I always hear these rumours of him going to Real Madrid and I could definitely see him going there. And I know Mbappe wants to go there at the same time, uh, but I think Mbappe is very different to Erling Haaland. Um, I think Mbappe is probably a lot more creative, whereas Erling is very clinical with his finishing. Sorry. You have a dog. <laughs> That's me. It's Ringo. <laughs> Cute, very cute. I wonder if Ringo's trying to tell us that he prefers Haaland or Mbappe. I'll have to ask him later yeah, on. Ask him later for us. Louise, before we finish up the chat today, you talked of the the competition that the association's putting on, which is really cool. Is there any way that people that are listening can get involved with that? Yeah, of course. So uh, I think that's probably the main one that's coming up is the the Women in Football Tournament, which will be um, held in, uh, it'll be on the Central Coast in September. Um, so you can just go to the Women in Football uh, website um, and I can send that to you guys after we've finished here as well. And if you want to put it out on your, um, on your website and, and Instagram, feel free to do so. And 
you can go down to the bottom and, and register a team and uh, and do all of that and get involved because it'd be great to see lots of faces there um, in September to to come along and have a good weekend. Well, thank you so much for your time, Louise. Yeah, thank you so much. And I really appreciate you getting me on to have a chat. It's been great to talk to you both. Thank you so much for having me. Bye. Thank you. Bye. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. Got a question for us? Hit us up on email, Twitter or Instagram. Just check the description for details. Bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.